This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. It's April Fool's Day, and we have the perfect topic in store for you all. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Reed Quinton, an assistant professor of laboratory medicine and pathology, and an anatomic pathologist at the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Quinton is also happens to be a magician. So today, we have the pleasure of talking with him about the magic in medicine. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Quinton. I'm happy to be back again. Uh, this is, I think, my second or third time with you, and these are always fun. Yeah, yeah your, your second uh, appearance on the podcast. We're jazzed to have you. So what's your origin story? How did you get started in magic? You make it, you make it sound like it's the superhero origin story. So. It kind of is, right? Yeah. So actually, it's a really neat story that relates to medicine. If you look at most people that get into magic, it's the classic, like I was about seven or eight years old and I had an uncle that would do card tricks and that gave me the bug and got me interested. And that was not me, actually. I actually probably had my first deck of trick cards or something when I was about seven or eight, but never really thought much of it. But it wasn't until I was in med school and I was on my cardiothoracic surgery rotation and we had one of the retired surgeons would come in and do sort of small topic talks with our small group of med students. And after about 20 minutes of talking about pulmonary hypertension or whatever, he would then turn around and go, you guys want to see a card trick? And he'd start doing tricks for us. Now, this was his name was Dr. Watts Webb. And last time I checked, he was still in New Orleans in his 90s and was still doing magic. I realized at that time I, I got a big kick out of it, but more importantly, I knew my next rotation was going to be pediatrics. And so I went to him and I said, you know, this is really neat. How do you learn this? And that's kind of what got me started. And so I kind of went down that path a little bit, bought some books, bought some props. My wife thought, oh, this is a great hobby because it's cheap. It's just a couple books and decks of cards. And little did she know where that would go. And, and eventually I, I would say my second big credit in sort of guiding me would be a Dr. Ricardo Rosencrantz, who's actually a neonatologist at Northwestern University. He, along with several professional magicians, including Jeff McBride, Larry Haas, and Eugene Berger, actually teach a medicine and magic class through the Mystery Magic School in Las Vegas. And so I met Ricardo and all of them through that. And, and so that was kind of the, the second part of this. So I have to give a lot of the topics credit here in that a lot of the stuff I talk about really comes from what Ricardo started. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I think my thoracic surgery rotation experience in medical school, I remember it well, and I remember a lot more adrenal discharge <laughs> than that. I imagine that was wonderful for learning. How does this roll into your practice as an anatomic pathologist? How do you see the skill? How does this translate? Right. When I talk to students about this kind of thing, we talk about how does that translate because it was great in medical school, you know, especially going on to that pediatric rotation, I could approach the patients in a different way and sort of engage them before you just go in and start poking and prodding them. 
And so we joke now about, well, how in the world does that translate to pathology, particularly in, in my field of forensic pathology? And so there are many of the same concepts, but they don't necessarily translate to patient interaction. But essentially, what I think of is in terms of if you look at our practice, be it forensics or not, I look at the skill set as being scripting, costuming, and audience engagement, if you will. Those are kind of my big three. So scripting in magic essentially is, you know, there are people who perform magic just sort of off the cuff and do it sort of without any type of script, but those aren't usually as successful as the stage magicians who have a very detailed script and know exactly what they're going to say every time. And so for me, I translate that into my engagement with, for instance, a jury, knowing when I sit on the stand, I know exactly what I'm going to say every time and then kind of run through it multiple times. So there's that scripting and rehearsal so that when I get on the stand, I'm actually comfortable saying what I'm going to say. Costuming, at some point in our careers, I think we've all had the experience where we run into the doc who, who kind of wants to be a little more laid back and they're like, well, I don't want my patients to be intimidated by me. So they basically wear the white coat, but they're sporting jeans and a polo shirt or something like that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but costuming is important because it engages the audience and kind of tells them, who is this person? Max Maven, who's a, a mentalist, he really would be upset if you called him a magician, but he's more of a mentalist. And maybe for our listeners, can you just, uh, what is a mentalist? Because I think before I got to really uh, yeah. spend some time with you, I was unclear about what that meant. Sure. So mentalists are basically the guys who their entire show is based on mind reading, predictions, things like that. Not really what you'd expect as far as like big stage illusions or things like that. And that's another thing is that magic basically is like medicine in, in that there are multiple subspecialties. So mentalism is a subspecialty within the, the larger field of magic. But anyway, Max Maven, when he talks about audience engagement, he says, as soon as you step out on stage, the audience has their own internal dialogue. And they're thinking, basically, who is this person? What do they do? And why should I care? And he postulated that the faster you can address those questions, the more successful you're going to be because they'll be sort of calmed down and go, okay, I understand what I'm getting into here. And so we think of that in medicine in the same terms. So if I have the appropriate costuming and I look like a physician, then when I walk in to see a patient, that's one less box for them to tick is who, who is this person? You know, because if you walk in wearing different costuming, they might go, well, is this the nurse? Is this the doctor? Is this a student? So there's a lot of questions that they're trying to deal with. So that's another element of what we do. So, you know, especially in, again, in my field, when I'm testifying, you walk in looking a certain way because that's sort of what the jury expects you to look like. And so that's scripting and costuming and then audience engagement in general just learning how to engage your audience slash jury slash patient to basically be able to answer those questions quickly, get to the root of what their concerns are, understand what is their internal dialogue that they're having so that you can address their questions and kind of just, you know, it's everything from eye contact to the sort of simple things of public speaking we always talk about. Do you project your voice well? Do you mumble? Do you look down at your notes the whole time instead of engaging with the patient or the jury? 
all of those topics translate very well between sort of the theatricality of magic and the theatricality of medicine. Yeah, you know, for our listeners, I love how you broke it down to these concepts, scripts, costume, and audience. I mean, with regarding script, what I hear you saying is you're you're talking about this preparation that's happening behind the scenes. And I kind of equate that to how we think about some great artists. They're just brilliant and we don't see all the years of practice and, and failures about that. And I think for our residents and fellows, a lot of times it just sort of seems like, wow, Dr. Quentin just always knows the right answer. or He's just really on point. And we just hope that, you know, someday that we can be that quick with our answers. But I think it lays ourselves bare to just highlight that there's a lot of preparation that goes into being a great physician. Yeah, and the funny thing is you, you focused on that preparation aspect. And the strange thing about magic is that unlike every other form of art, oftentimes we're trying to hide our skill set. So if we make it look like something is spontaneous and natural, that's success, but it doesn't look like we did anything. So a lot of that preparation and practice and the hours and hours of anxiety that go behind that, nobody ever perceives because the end goal is for them not to see it. Mm -hmm. Costuming, I feel like I'm going to come to you like with challenge. I mean, this is a great way to explain like, how do we think about professionalism and things like that, that I think in medical education, sometimes it's, it's more challenging for us to address deficits and professionalism in contrast to like medical knowledge, for example. Yeah, for sure. I really like how you broke that down. I think that's a lot for our audience to take with you. I'm kind of curious now about these concepts. How do you approach teaching our residents and fellows about how they might think about and use magic in their practice? I know you're not necessarily, I mean, you know, maybe there's a couple that have been full converts and are card-carrying members of the brotherhood, but these are certainly concepts that they can take forward in their career. Sure. And, and so much of it is almost by osmosis. And quite frankly, oftentimes we're not spelling out that these are these practices from what I've learned in magic, you know, but as we, you, me, all of us interact with our students and residents and all that, it's those little touches where we engage with them and they're giving a presentation and we give them feedback afterwards and say, oh, you know, I might've done this, or even thinking about like a PowerPoint presentation and how we critique how much is on the slide, you know, how don't read off the slide. All of that is the same skill set. And so even if they don't know they're learning some of the, that skill set that, you know, it's sort of behind the scenes uh, that we're teaching it in a more formal way. When I first got here to Mayo, I actually reached out to the, uh, we have on campus, a center for humanities basically uses the arts to talk about medicine in, in a little bit of a way. When I reached out to them, they actually connected me with the medical student group. There's an actual humanities in medicine interest group for the medical students here. And so they do basically lunch lectures with different people who do all kinds of different things outside of medicine. And so for three years in a row, I've actually gone back to give them magic and medicine talks. The med students really, really enjoy it. So it's, it's kind of a fun, formal way to say, that's my plan, as opposed to with the residents on, you know, oftentimes it's on service and it's sort of secretive. Like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm feeding you this knowledge, but you might not know it's coming from this place. I think our audience knows last time we were celebrating the fact that you had won Teacher of the Year award given to you from the resident class here in anatomic pathology. And 
I imagine that being a good teacher, when you're teaching somebody who's maybe more junior, a lot of concepts in medical practice are quite complex. And you almost need a little bit of a suspension of a lot of the details for that beginner learner to take those first steps, feel successful, gain some confidence and get ready to understand some of the nitty gritty. I think about that a lot when I'm talking about these concepts in transfusion medicine with a resident versus a fellow. Uh, you're covering it in different ways. I'm kind of curious, do you see that in your practice? And there's a lot of medical educators that are listening to this podcast. How can we get better at suspending some of that belief for our residents and not get caught up in some of that nitty gritty? The question is fantastic. And it comes down to that same concept of understanding what their internal dialogue is. So, you know, when we talk about speaking to a patient, we're trying to think about and anticipate, like, what are their questions behind the scenes? You know, why does this hurt? Am I going to die? You know, sometimes it's really deep questions. For the residents, obviously, it might not be that level, but I think for us to sort of put ourselves in their shoes, bring ourselves down a little bit, you need to express your own humanity, too. So be able to kind of get down to their level and understand behind the scenes, okay, when I was in that position, what did I understand and kind of start from that baseline and go from there. So again, kind of anticipating like, okay, as a first year resident, what kind of questions would they have, even if they don't know they have that question, or maybe they're too afraid to ask that question and then try to anticipate and answer some of those as we go, even if they haven't been presented to me. And I love how it sounds like you know, that, that beginner's mindset, and we need to remember that, think about that. Join us for the 7th Annual Forensic Science Symposium to be held April 29th, 2022. Visit com forward slash 2022 forensic for more information. This last question is one in the spirit of being transparent, this concept of script that you've introduced us to, Dr. Quentin. This last question's a little bit of a doozy, but I, I gave this to you ahead of time to think about because it's such a doozy. So for our listeners, this isn't Dr. Quentin off the cuff. What would an ACGME milestone on magic in pathology look like? And so I'm kind of curious for your thoughts. I know this isn't the typical final question, but I think it's a neat way for us to kind of get our arms around this conversation, some of these concepts that you've shared with us, and also make it a little bit more concrete for our listeners. Sure. Yeah. So I did kind of struggle with this because honestly, there's two ways to look at it. So one way, which I started with was basically, if I had to write milestones for magic, what would they be? And then I kind of backtracked from there and said, okay, now how would I apply this to what we do in pathology? So just for fun, I did create the milestones for magic first. And I think you'll be amused by these, but basically going from one to five, you know, one being the lowest sort of beginner all the way up to five. And hopefully most of our learners know what the milestones are. So number one in magic, if you were just starting at your baseline milestone, I just have it listed as perform self-working card trick that they learned from their uncle. <laughs> so the very simple basics. And then the second one is that I wrote in that same category is aware that you should not expose secrets. Now I don't say don't expose secrets because pretty much everybody at level one does, 
but they're aware you probably should. This is going back to that idea of seven or eight year old who is learning their first trick. They're so excited about it. It's a self-working card trick or something like that. But then of course they immediately show you how they did it, even though they know that they probably shouldn't. So level two in the milestone though, I have identifies different types of magic. So now you're understanding, oh, there's card tricks, coin tricks, kids shows, mentalism, that kind of thing. Aware of resources available, including books, videos, and mentors, can perform basic sleight of hand with one or two props. So you're only focusing on one or two things. Performs for family and friends and does not intentionally expose methods. So now you, you've gotten to the point where you know I shouldn't give it away. I'm trying not to give it away, but sometimes maybe I don't have the dexterity to not give it away. So some people will catch me. So then milestone number three would be comfortably performs magic in front of strangers. So not just family and friends in a close-up setting, familiar with slights of several types of magic. So this would be now you're familiar with coin magic, card magic, SpongeBob magic, whatever, but comfortable with one or two types. And then the third in there is engages with other magicians in order to improve their practice. So that is you seeking out magicians or mentors to try to develop better habits or learn something. Proficiency number four, comfortable performing in front of strangers, including table and small stage settings may occasionally provide paid performances. So now we're getting into a whole new level. And then engages other magicians to both provide and receive constructive feedback. And then finally, the level five would be comfortable in all types of performance venues, may engage in paid performances professionally or semi-professionally. And then the last part of that is mentors other magicians to improve their craft. So that's where I went with magic, which really made me wish I could just go ahead and write a whole book of milestones for magic because that was super fun. Moving on a little more specifically, so then I took that and tried to apply it back to pathology. And so I said, well, let me go through the framework of our own pathology milestones and see how I could rewrite them. And to be honest with you, Justin, I ended up going, I don't have to rewrite them. So I went through and I found two core competencies that I think really are the most appropriate. There was in the big picture, patient care, and the ICS, so in interpersonal and communication skills. I thought those two core competencies really could apply to what we're talking about. And so as we go through these, these have nothing specifically to do with magic, but it goes back to that idea of the magic concepts or theater <laughs> concepts. So for patient care, actually, we have two that I selected out. One is reporting and the other one is grossing. So in pathology, obviously, we develop reports and we gross specimens. And if you look like at the grossing one, it's the same kind of level one through five. You know, basically level two is you're learning how to sample, you're learning how to document simple cases. By the time you get to level five, you can independently gross very complex specimens. So, you know, this translation is the same as I learned to do a self-working card trick versus I'm performing on stage. With the reporting, it's the same as the scripting. Basically, you're just learning how to identify key things that you would want to talk about in your report. And then over the years, essentially learning how to generate a very complicated yet concise report, which the best scripting, basically, you start with a very big script and you keep whittling it down and, and you take out everything that is sort of superfluous and uh, get down to the simplest, simplest script. And, and it's the same thing with our reports is you don't want a bunch of extra stuff in there. 
And then for the interpersonal and communication skills, there's two of them I selected out, which I think directly apply to what we're talking about. One was patient and family-centered communication, and the other one was interprofessional and team communication. So looking at the team one, just kind of reading through it and, and going like, for instance, level three integrates feedback from team members to improve communication. So basically you're constantly talking to the team, learning from them and looping back around and improving what you're doing. By the time you get to you know level four, coordinates recommendations from different team members of the healthcare team to provide optimized patient care. So basically synthesizing all that. So as we interact with patients or as we interact with team members, or at the same time, as we interact with audience members, there's that constant feedback loop. So I say something, I get a response. Then I go, okay, I need to wrap that back into what I'm doing. And so I think in theater or in magic, the audience knows very quickly if you're not really engaged with them. So if you seem like you are just rattling off a script without actually engaging them, they will pick up on that. And we see it in medicine too, where somebody's speaking and they're just so formal about their topic that they can't even really adjust and answer questions because they're like, well, this is what I'm here to talk about and that's it. So same thing with the patient and family-centered communication, basically establishing relationships like level four for that one, independently recognizes personal biases while attempting to proactively minimize communication barriers. If that's not theater, I don't know what is, you know? So anyway, long, very long-winded answer to tell you that I think in our milestones, there's already multiple things that apply to what we're talking about here. That's the magic trick that you just did for our listeners. <laughs> we didn't even know that magic was present in our milestones and you made it appear. You pulled it out of the hat, which is awesome. I mean, I feel like you've given me a new way to think about how can I talk about these issues with learners. You and I were talking before we got going recording here and I was sharing that I've been doing some simulation and thinking about wanting my learners to quote unquote, think like a pathologist. <laughs> and that was a very nebulous thing when I started, but as I was going forward, I've noticed through the feedback, what I really mean when I say that is that they are truly listening to the patient, the team member. And I see that reflected in what you were just saying about being authentic. You know your script, you're prepared for it, but you have to interact with that other person in an authentic way. If they ask a question, you have to really respond meaningfully to it. Not that it's not part of the script. <laughs> we're doing the trick. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, I see how this goes. And I, I think this is really something beautiful for our audience to think about. In my own experience, you know, having seen many magicians perform, I think a big eye-opening thing for me was going to see a comedy magician named Mac King, who's in Las Vegas. He's absolutely spectacular. I've been doing it a long time. And if you go see his show, it just seems so spontaneous and he interact, he brings people up on stage and has just so much fun with them. And you're like, wow, I, I cannot believe that he has this kind of rapport with these people. And then you go see his show again and you realize how incredibly scripted it is. But every time he brings someone up, there are those deviations because he does react differently for different things, what they say, what they do, but he's actively paying attention and reacting to what they say and do, but then goes right back to script. And in a way that 
they can never even perceive it. It just seems it flows so naturally. So I'm still trying to develop that type of communication skill, I think. In your answer there, I hear you. This is repetition is important. And I think for us as, as faculty, observing that repetition so that we can uh, help our learners get feedbacks that's relevant, that's going to help them uh, fine tune. We've been rounding with Dr. Quinton. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this topic with us. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Quinton, be sure to register for the seventh annual Forensic Science Symposium. Dr. Quinton will be presenting on a variety of topics at this year's symposium to be held April 29th, 2022. For more information, visit mayocliniclabs.com backslash 2022 forensic. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.